Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, discussing all things audiobooks with the authors that write the stories and the narrators that perform them. Brought to you by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. Hi everyone and welcome to Season 3, Episode 6, Part 2 with guest narrator Marcio Catalano. We're going to kick off exactly where we left out in Part 1 and have included the links to that episode in the podcast post over at Viviana, Enchantress of Books. Let the fun begin. You were mentioning that you were very shy and quiet until you were about 19. Oh my God. Yes. I was like a, I was like a flower. (laughs) Hard to believe knowing what I know about you. Um, A flower with spikes. (laughs) Touch me, bitch. I'll cut you. Anyways. (laughs) So can you pinpoint what happened at that age that made you? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's my friend's fault. It's my friend's fault. I'm going to call his ass out because he ruined my, or he, should I say he ruined my life or he made me money? I don't know which one. (laughs) He ruined my life and made me money. I'll call Mm -hmm. him out. Changed, changed, uh, (laughs) changed my reality. So I had a friend Mm -hmm. named Michael Evans. He, um, well, we became friends later. We weren't friends at all in the beginning. I don't know why I always conflict with people in the beginning and then we become really tight. Um, I, 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 um, I was a stripper for 15 years. Hmm. That will definitely and, not make you shy. <laughs> that won't make you shy because you can't be shy. But if you are shy, that will unmake you shy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, the thing I've done the longest in my life was to be a dancer mm-hmm. more than film and TV, more than audiobooks, more than anything. So I started dancing in January, January 20th, 1995. Hmm. Don't, don't ask me. I'm terrible with numbers. Don't ask me why I know that date. <laughs> I worked at a club. I started at a club. There was this guy. We became friends. He was starting a group. There were other groups at the time. I was only working at a club in the beginning and had not yet gotten on with agencies and done private parties, which are like bachelorette parties, birthday parties, going away parties, special occasions, or review shows, which are like Chippendales, Thunder from Down Under, Hollywood Men. Um, he was starting a group. And he, we, I started performing in this group. And we would always talk about the shows because we were new. And we were trying to come up and trying to get better. And I would, I would just throw ideas at him. And then one day he's like, you know what, man, you should talk. And I was like, huh? He's like, you should talk on the mic. I'm like, uh, hell no. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Sure enough. <laughs> <laughs> Now, part of that was, I, I hope he thought, you know, I had some potential. Part of it was also that we just, um, you, you always have plenty of dancers. You never have enough guys who can MC, you know, because that takes a different skill. And dudes who are six foot four with, you know, 240 pounds of muscle and eight pack, um, then maybe they could talk, you know. Mm-hmm. But I could talk. I could talk. And uh, I just didn't have the experience of talking in front of people because I didn't, I didn't talk in front of people. But I realized I had a lot to say. So he, he, yeah, he got me into it. And uh, I gained confidence. I mean, 
I, you know, I don't know what people think about stripping. I think the general overall attitude of stripping is, um, there's a couple things that come to mind. Uh, number one is like, Oh, strippers, they're all sluts or, you know, they do porn. I'm like, Nope, porn's a different business. They stick it in. We wear thongs and boots and jump around and get paper cuts. It's not the same thing. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a completely different business. Um, or, you know, or you, whatever, whatever folks think, but mm -hmm. it is a, it is a job back then you can make a pretty damn good living at it. I certainly did. Hence I did it for 15 years. It was my career. Um, yeah. And what I walked away from, I mean, we could, yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole different podcast. I mean, on its own, that could be a series. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people write, you know, people write books, books about, yep. right. I was just like, there's a, there's a series of male and female strippers. So it most definitely could be a podcast series. But to sum it up, if you dance for 15 years and you were in a business where you're on stage and you are catering to women, um, there is the physical component of you have to look good and take care of yourself, right? You have to be good looking. You have to be in shape. You have to put on a show. You have to be charming. Um, but it's hard work, right? Mm -hmm. try, try standing in a room or on stage and entertaining people for 15 minutes. Quite all right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not... Not everybody can stand up there and, you know, mostly unclothed and keep the attention of the audience. And every audience is different because on, you know, you're not going to be everybody's type. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. What I, what I gained from the, the experience was besides having my own personal fun, <laughs> I, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford acting classes. I didn't grow up with any money. So I wanted to go to acting school. That was an impossibility. Uh, the idea of going to the University of Washington drama program for God knows what, 23,000, 30,000 a year at the time was never going to happen. I saw these guys on stage in costumes performing. There were lights, there was music. It was theatrical. It's kind of like Broadway, except mm, naked Broadway. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> and I thought I could do that. And uh, what it what it does for a, a very shy person is it builds your self esteem and your confidence, because you're fo you're forced to sink or swim. Mm -hmm. You you go out there, and people are going to respond in a positive manner, or they're not. And you better be able to adjust on the fly, or tweak it the next show, or tweak it within show. Right, you got to read the terrain. That's why I pay attention to people a lot. Because there is a relationship between the audience. If you've ever performed live, uh, anybody who's done theater knows this or, or who's in a band knows this. Every single audience is different. There is a different energy every time. It's never the same. And you've got to be, it's a dance. You've got to be in tune with it. You've got to be working off of it. Like, like my acting teacher used to say, you have to work off the moment, right? From moment to unanticipated moment. You got to be tuned in. You can't just go up there and do whatever you want to do. There's certain things that you can choreograph and go up and perform that are crowd pleasers that, you know, work each and every time because they're funny or they're shocking. Mm -hmm. But you got to be in tune with people. You got to go out there and you got to listen. And if you're out there lap dancing, someone grinding them and you're like, you know, 
you watch the reaction. You bring your hand down your body. You watch how they follow that, right? You're a magician. And uh, you're catering to an audience that has a particular taste. And you may not even be their taste because, you know, maybe they're into white dudes with blonde hair. Maybe they're into black dudes. Maybe you're not their cup of tea. And that's okay. So what do you do now? Well, the one thing you could do is you can be nice to everybody. Right? You might not be everybody's type, but you can be respectful. You can be a good host. So I learned very quickly that, um, you know, I can't just rely on one, you know, you, you just can't come up on stage like a, like a jerk. And I think women see that, you know, cause it's different for men and women. Right. Yeah. I always say that. Yeah. Like I used to tell people all the time when they would say, Oh, you know, stripping blah, blah, blah. And most people know about stripping through the female perspective, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you can't compare the two male and female stripping are complete opposites. They are only the same in one thing. And that's title. If you go to a female strip club, most guys are there for TNA. And if, if a girl is rude, you know, she's a bitch. Somebody might say like, damn, she's hot, but she's a bitch. Yeah, I know, dude, but she's hot. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so you'll buy it. We're not going to stop most guys, right? They're still going to get a lap dance because they don't give, they don't care. But try that with women. You go up on stage. You're tall dark and handsome you got a hot body right you're ripped you're muscular you're shredded you know you got moves you got flav you're giving those girls a look what's up you know you're mm -hmm. giving them the energy the attention but then you're an asshole you know what happens Psst. i'm not tipping him he's a jerk right yeah, totally. Men and women are so opposite. <laughs> so you, yeah, I learned. I, I'll say that stripping taught me the greatest lesson ever. It let it let me play. It let me play in a field where I got to hone my confidence, my self esteem, and my showmanship. It let me learn to negotiate, and it let me build a relationship with an audience to where I can be in tune with them. And then, um, you know, not everything's going to work. But I'm open to the experiment and then the adjustment. And people who perform live, they, they understand that. And it's actually the greatest feeling in the world. It's better than anything that is um, prepackaged, like better than, you know, live performance, whether it's music, whether it's theater, there's an excitement that you can't get from, you know, being on set is awesome. But when you're on set, you get to do another take. You don't get to do that with live performance. Yeah. Plus the but feeding off of the energy of the, uh, the audience that's there to I watch. Love it. Yeah. I love it. I, mi I miss it. I miss the audience, you know, mm -hmm. sitting in the booth by yourself, talking for hours on end. You know, you're reading someone else's story. You're making up these fictional characters in your mind. You're bringing them to life. You're, you're, you're there, not present here. Um, as you should be, because it's not you, you have to leave your personal life to go there to create this experience, but it's just you. It's all, you're like in solitary confinement, complete, completely opposite, extremely opposite experience. Right. So what would you say you liked best about that time in your life? Stripping? Yeah. God, I loved it. <laughs> 
I loved the camaraderie and mm -hmm. I even loved, I loved the camaraderie with the guys and I loved the infighting. <laughs> it, it was like a family, like mm -hmm. a damn Shakespeare tragedy. Like mm -hmm. there's dudes that you were bros with. Like, I mean, there's, there's guys to this day. I mean, I got brothers to this day that I've known from dancing who have retired and they move on to have families and they're doing different stuff for me. Like one of my, one of my buddies in Vegas, he, uh, a couple of the videos that I've put up for audiobooks that have the covers in the videos, like it's like a currently narrating. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I do, sometimes I do a snippet and I throw it up on social media. One of my buddies who's retired a long time ago, lives in Vegas, has a family. He's totally normal. He has a wife, kids, everything. He will, uh, he's kind enough to do some of my videos from time to time. Um, another buddy of mine who, um, he was in Oregon for a while. Uh, he's, he's always in Oregon. Uh, he trains all the time. I'm, I'm trying to get back into shape, trying to recapture some of that youth. I'm not in bad shape, but I'm not in the shape I used to be in. Uh, sometimes he'll send me messages and encourage me like, bro, yeah, do this, do that. Try this exercise, you know, uh, what else? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I know. I still know some guys. Actually, <laughs> the dude who got me into audiobooks. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. We met 1998 in a group. Yeah. We've been through everything. We've been, we've been like brothers. We've been, uh, you know, we didn't talk for a while. We came back to a friendship here in LA. And then he got me into audiobooks. Crazy, huh? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, what they say, it's about, you know, small worlds and running into people yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to think of it this way. Like, whatever other people have done, like, that was my early career. Mm -hmm. So people, people always have colleagues that they worked with that they still know 10 years, 15 years down the road, right? Mm -hmm. Or classmates, you know, if you go to uni, you know, if you, you graduate from a high school or university, there's people that you you take with you some people fall to the wayside but other folks just ride with you for a while so yeah i think i miss the camaraderie and i miss, i really miss more than anything is the live performance yeah the money yeah i've made more money as an actor you know so this the stripping was cool but um it's good it was good you know it was good it was good bought my first house that way but <laughs> Yeah. It's a different era, you know. First generation was late 70s, like Chippendale started in 1979. And the first stripping agency was also founded in the same year. So stripping is not that old. It's about four decades away, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Yeah. I mean, we're going on eh, less than 50 years. So. So on the flip side, um, any yeah. regrets? From that time? Yeah. No. No. Cool. None. <laughs> I danced 15 years, 14 in Seattle. I, after I finished acting school, I did a four-year program in Seattle. Um, and I moved to Los Angeles. I still was dancing. I, I got on with a couple of agencies out here. And, but it was different. You know, the thing is, is that when you grow up in a certain city, you know, everybody, I knew all the agency owners, I knew all the dancers, you know, it's just like, you're familiar with everybody. Mm -hmm. You moved to, you know, going from Seattle to LA, LA is huge. 
totally different. And stripping started here. So it's a bigger community, has a larger history, and you're driving all over the place. So, and also things changed. I mean, that was 2008. And that was a big crash, remember? The economic crash. Yeah, so yeah. I, I remember a buddy of mine telling me, man, you left Seattle, bro. You couldn't have picked a better time. It's like your timing was perfect. And he says, as soon as you left, the next summer was just a huge dip. And I was already just trying to, when I moved to LA, I came with money saved up because I knew living here was going to be expensive. You got to get headshots. You have to get representation, commercial, theatrical. You have to have possibly a manager. Um, I'm going to have to work my way into all of these places on top of just figuring out how to live, right? Where's the gym? Where's the mm -hmm. grocery store, <laughs> right? Where's the cheap Asian noodles? Like where's, you know, where, how do I live my life every single day in an efficient way that allows me to do the necessities that I need so I can focus on the bigger things to build. Mm -hmm. And it's LA is overwhelming. And my buddy who had been in acting school with me, um, Toby, I can, I can throw his name out there. He told me, look, move in with me. And I was like, no, I'll get my own place. No, 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 bro. No, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> this is LA 30 days after you get here and you've been here you're going to want to move somewhere else. Inland is different from the beach. You know, Beverly Hills is different from Santa Monica, is different from Koreatown, is different from the valley. And there's several valleys, you know. So every section has its own uh, feeling and vibe. And uh, he was right. I lived with him for the first 10 months. And then I was like, all right, I'm heading to the opposite side of town. <laughs> and had, had I moved here based off pictures or just, you know, whatever limited information I had, I would have been trying to live somewhere, which was the opposite of what, what, you know, what vibed with me. So he did me a tremendous, uh, common sense, solid favor, mm -hmm. but I tried. Yeah. It wasn't the same. I moved out to LA and I was like, man, I'm making less money and I'm driving all over the place. And I, I don't even know these people very well. So. My relationships aren't as tight, but that was okay. Cause I was on my way out from that. And I was, I was, you know, I was, uh, studying acting further out here because you can study. I mean, if you're from Texas or you're from Mississippi or Indiana and you come out here and they look at your resume, who'd you train with? If they don't know your teachers, if you didn't, you know, if you didn't get your headshots with one of the five or six top photographers here and trust me, casting directors know who you shot with, whether your headshots are cheap or not, right? Who you studied with, who those teachers are, right? Mm -hmm. All of that stuff you did somewhere else does not matter, right? It's a whole different environment here. And uh, so I was trying to, I was trying to bridge that gap. It's trying to leave that behind and trying to get into this. It was a big transition. Big move too. Yeah, I knew like, yeah. I, I knew like two people here. I had, no, I knew like three people here. I had, and literally they were all classmates. Mm -hmm. And then I had another friend. I had made a crazy thing is I had done a film. That film went to a bunch of film festivals. We flew down to LA for one of those film festivals. And then I made a friend there that was attending that school. And that was like my first gal pal here, like just friend, friend, Pluton, you know, like strictly platonic. Um, so that person did me a huge favor showing me around the city and it's kind of like my homegirl and 
showed me around and, you know, cause she was, she, she had been here a long time and she also came from the same acting approach. And she was also like a performer who did like stilt walking at universal and a bunch of other stuff. So she was amazing because she introduced me to so many things here that I, that on my own would have taken me far longer if she hadn't just said, yo, go here, go here. Um, if you get that, get that over here, it's cheaper, you know, just things like that, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I didn't know anybody really really didn't know anybody but i had this feeling i had this feeling that you know in seattle unless you want to do community theater right or mm-hmm. indie films your whole life you have to go to the olympics of acting where's that hollywood so if you want to be a big boy right you got to mm-hmm. go for it let's talk about some of the stuff that you've done so i'd sum up my my training and performing in acting in Seattle, just as I studied at three different schools, but the one I stayed at the longest was a four-year program. And I mm-hmm. finished that. I did theater. I did indie films. And then I moved here. Um, and in the beginning when I moved here, man, you know, uh, I started at the bottom. I started off, you know, doing extra work. I didn't know you could do that full-time, you know? Mm-hmm. I tried everything. So I did some extra work. I was non-union. And what that means is that at that time, I was not uh, in SAG or AFTRA, for folks who don't know. Uh, SAG is the Screen Actors Guild. AFTRA is the American Federation of TV and Radio Artists. And they are the actors' unions. So every TV show you've ever seen, every movie you've ever seen was either one or the other until they merged back in like 2013 after like 70 years. Um, so I, I did everything, you know, I, I, I met some classmates and they're like, Hey, I can get you on this. I can get you on that. You can just be, you know, this. And then I worked my way up. I started standing in. And what that is for folks who don't know again is when they work with the principal actors, let's say it's Leo DiCaprio on a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when they're setting up the shot and they're setting up the lighting and they're going to figure out how they're going to block that. Uh, blocking means aka choreography how the camera is going to move through the scene as the scene is taking place the actors walk over here they grab this they say these lines they move blah 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 when they're figuring that out they're not going to have an a-list actor standing there like a dummy they're going to bring in another dummy (laughs) (laughs) and that dummy is going to stand there while they figure out how they're going to block out that scene and how they and 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 that person is usually the same eye line meaning height and skin tone for lighting purposes as the principal actor. So you're kind of like their concierge, their backup, right? And so you learn to do that. And I did some of that. I did stunts. Uh, Man, I did everything. I did, you know, I did everything because when you're trying to get in, you're just trying to work. And I didn't think I was above anything. I didn't care. You know, I even had... I even I remember one time I got really upset because one time one of my old mates back home said, oh, man, you trained for this. You trained for that. You know, you've done Shakespeare. You've done this and that. You're doing that. And I got so mad. I said, you know what? If somebody told you that you can work at Paramount, Warner Brothers, Universal, ABC, CBS, NBC, Disney, and spend a day on set learning how to be a professional and they're going to pay you and feed you. You wouldn't have complained. Shut up. 
this is a grade A education that you will never get through an acting class or a film school. You don't know how to be a professional till you're working with professionals. So shut up, dude. Right? Yeah. It's like sucking someone's joy. I was so happy with something so simple, but someone else is, you know, it's like, I'll get there. I'll get there. But if we're building this, this castle, give me a brick. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. We're not starting with a whole wall. Give me a brick (laughs) and then (laughs) give me another Right. Give me another brick and then give me another brick and give me another brick. So you get this, you know, first of all, I got to start start with the foundation before you can get to the wall with the bricks. Right. And then, okay. And so where do we get to? All right. Well, all those bricks added up. And did I ever become an A-list actor? No, but here's what I did get. I made friends that I know to this day who are casting directors, associates, people who worked with me in every capacity, stand-ins, you know, uh, doubles, you know, other people, um, I uh, paid my bills like that for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. That counts. I did stunts on Iron Man too. I did stunts on Gotham. I doubled for the fifth season of Dexter. Four or five episodes. I stood in and doubled for Tom Cruise and George Clooney for the 2012 Oscars, the year that Billy Crystal came back after a, I don't know, six or seven year hiatus from hosting the Academy Awards. Well, you recently posted a, a thingy for <laughs> Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> oh, Sons of Anarchy. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, I play, oh God, I play a porn star. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> I play. Yeah, I looked that up. <laughs> Good catch. Yeah. I play a male porn star in a snippet because they always cut stuff in the second season of Sons of Anarchy. I believe it's episode two. Yeah, it was season two, episode two. Okay, good. And that was awesome because they're experiences, right? And and eventually they inform you. Like all of the things that I learned from dancing and everything that I learned in Los Angeles is has all been useful towards what I've done in other arenas because you're pulling from those places and also um, towards what eventually I hope to do, you know? more of in the future the the pivot that i'm making which we'll we'll talk about towards the end you know i i uh i'm grateful i i don't care that you know fame is not the goal what is the goal is i want to work with talented intelligent good people on things that are meaningful to me that's it Mm -hmm. fame is uh you know whether people know you or not, I don't know if it benefits you, right? It can. It can draw people's attention towards your work, but I would rather have their attention go to my work and not me, right? I would rather have people not be starstruck if I had the opportunity. I'd rather not have people be um, mesmerized by me more than interested in, in the work, right? I want to give my life over to the work. I want to spend my entire life making stuff until I die. Right? I want to reduce how many times I have to go to the dry cleaners and go to Target. 
or go to Trader Joe's, right? If I can, <laughs> if I can minimize all that stuff that we have to do so I can do more of what I want to do, that's the goal. Yeah. And with everything too, it's a learning process. You learn something new with every gig. You, you continue to improve your skill sets and then there's more learning opportunities until you can then utilize them in other areas. So. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and when you go on that ride of learning, you're having fun, mm-hmm. you know, you're having a good time because I mean, you're going to die. What are you going to do? What are you going to do in the meantime? Live. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, live. But I mean, how, how are you going to live? I mean, if you're just going to work every day and you hate oh, your job, God, that's you hate your boss yeah, and you're yeah. just eating food and you're sleeping and you're sitting there, you know, if you're just cruising, it's important to be a full participant in your life, not just a spectator. Right. Yes. So, and it's not easy to do. I'm not, I'm not sitting here preaching. I ain't preaching, you know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) So aside from being a romance narrator and the actor, you're you're also a screenwriter and actually have written and created your own graphic novel called the The boy from Atlantis. And most recently you just uh, published a short scene, young Magus, which is also available in audio. You want to tell us a little about that? Nah. God, you're a pain. <laughs> this is what you do because we're friends. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, oh, God, it's a long one. I'm going to be exhausted talking about that. Um, long story short, when I was in Seattle, okay, when I was in my four-year program, there was a young aspiring director that would come into our school that our teacher would allow to watch our classes. He had produced an indie film, a short film with at that time, my, a a few of my advanced classmates. And I was in the, I think beginning or intermediate group. He was making his second film. He was still coming into, he was pretty smart because he was actually and directors don't do this. So I thought this was kind of clever. He was coming in to try to understand how to work with directors or how to work with actors as a director by watching their work, by coming in and seeing what actors went through, which I thought was really clever because most people just, okay, here's a script, here's your part and go do it, right? I'll just direct you all. I'll direct traffic, (laughs) you know, but he came in and tried to understand it. And um, one night I have to talk about this guy because it's, it's what's led to where we are now. And he's one of my, one of my good (laughs) friends. Yeah. Oh God. (laughs) One night we went out to eat. We went to a nearby restaurant. There were about five of us and him and he pulled out a script, the new script he was working on. And at that time, my, my buddy, Aaron Washington had been cast in the lead part and he was just sharing with us and, you know, we're all eating food and just hanging. And, um, people checked it out. Everybody gave praise and compliments. Yeah, it's very interesting. Oh, it's awesome. You know, you know how people are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's all good. That's all pleasant and formal. Um, but I read pieces of it and I didn't really understand it. Now, in all fairness, it was not fully fleshed out yet. You know, you have to edit, you have to rewrite and so forth. And he was adapting it from something else that a buddy his wrote. So it wasn't quite where we, we ended up with it. And I said to him, well, it started, <laughs> it went wrong to begin with when I said, uh, when he was talking about good and evil and he says, well, you know, um, 
this character is bad and this character is good. And, and I said, yeah, no, no such thing. <laughs> and he goes, no, no, no. You, you know what I mean? Like there's good and there's evil. And I'm like, no, no such thing. <laughs> and he's looking at me like, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> and I'm like, look, all I'm saying is that that's a human perspective. It's judgment. The universe does not believe in good and evil. It's just energy. I mean, I knew what he meant. He was talking in generalities, but, you know, semantics, semantics. But I got really like, no, you know, if a crocodile kills an antelope that's crossing the river, is it evil or is it survival? Right. If I, yeah. so we got, we got a little philosophical with it. And of course I rubbed them away <laughs> and he didn't like that. And then I, I said to him, what's this about? You know, what's the script about? And he says, well, it's about this character. I don't know. I said, well, no, that's the description of the story. What's it about? I just told you it's about this. No, that, that's what happens in the story. What's it about? So he didn't like me very much because <laughs> he thought I was a pain in the ass. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, we didn't see each other for a while. He ended up, you know, I went, he went to the East Coast and he told his girlfriend at the time about this experience. And he was like, yeah, baby, this guy's an asshole. And uh, luckily, his girlfriend said, baby, I think he was the only one who told you the truth. And he got in contact with me. Um, my friend at the time who had been cast in the film in the principal role did something amazing and unheard of and incredibly complimentary and, and flattering. He had a chat with uh, the director and said, I think you should get Marcio to play this part because um, he can, he can say these crazy things and he means it. He doesn't have to turn himself inside out. He shares this perspective. And I thought, well, great. Uh, so I'm a psychopath because this character is a psychopath. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, this is not a fucking compliment. <laughs> like, this is, like, I get it. Like from an acting point of view, you're saying I'm versatile, but you're saying I'm crazy, bro. Like, like, like what? You're like, hold yeah. on a minute. Is this supposed yeah. to be a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> is this a compliment or are you trying to fuck you? Like, like you know, no, uh, well, and in whole, you know, I mean, that's kind of amazing because we had worked on something else before that. And I, I had, um, I think he did me a solid because I had done him a solid. And I, and I think also he was just, uh, that's, that's, I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. I've never seen somebody do that before. Yeah. I respect that. Be- yeah. Well, I respect that because it's selfless. It's telling the truth that I think this person is a good fit for this and I can play something else. Right, because he's an incredibly talented actor. So he was like, "Hey, you know, this is actually more him than me, but I'm good. I can do. I can do this other role, right? Because I get this role too, and I get this role. So we're good. I don't feel like he's taking anything from me. And I, that's I've never seen that ever, ever. I've never heard of anybody doing that for somebody. Um, and I thought that was um, super flattering forever. Anyways, long story short, we made this movie. Uh, the director was Eddie Smith. Eddie was the guy that kept coming in. What I didn't know at the time was that Eddie had been working over at Bungie, which later became uh, Microsoft Game Studios, and he was working on the very popular Halo series. 
So if you've ever played Xbox, I mean, Halo is kind of be one of the top <laughs> 10 most famous video games of all time. And Master Chief, when they did Halo 2, he was responsible for the complete redesign concepts uh, for Halo 2. So the entire design of, of Master Chief in Halo 1, boom, he did the concepts for Halo 2. So we became friends. He cast me in this movie. We did it. It went to like seven or eight film festivals. Like I mentioned before, one was here in L.A. I came out here. I met some people. I got a bigger idea. Five months later, I moved to L.A. And we were friends ever since. We've been friends for 18 years. A few years ago, what you had asked me was you're doing Boy from Atlantis and recently Young Magus. Okay. I had started writing a screenplay. I had a writing teacher, the same writing teacher as Eddie, Brian McDonald. He teaches at Pixar. Disney, ILM. Brian's, like, in my opinion, the best I've ever seen. I specifically was trained to write screenplays. I don't write novels. I don't write poems. <laughs> I don't write song lyrics. Unless I'm sad. <laughs> and so I spent the last 16 years writing screenplays or honing that craft. And uh, three and a half years ago, Eddie goes, look, let's, we're trying to do movies, but I was in China. He was in Seattle. It was just a mess. I mean, it was crazy because Eddie's originally from Los Angeles and I grew up in Seattle, but Eddie moved to Seattle and I moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> oh goodness. Like two ships passing in the night. I'm like, damn, mm -hmm. can we make this any harder to work together? <laughs> like, look, I'll just get to the moon and call you. Yeah, that'll be harder. <laughs> Try that. Say hi to Elon Musk. No. Um, <laughs> so three and a half years ago, he did the best thing ever. And again, something I didn't want to do. And this, this, I don't know why this happens all the time. Um, my friend Michael said, you should talk on a mic. I said, hell no. And I've emceed for 27 years. <laughs> I had a friend invite me to China. I said, hell no. I lived there part-time for nine. I had my friend Bobby said, you should get into audiobooks. I said, hell no. I've been doing them for six. <laughs> Eddie said, hey, whatever happened to that Atlantis script you were writing? I said, oh, man, you know, I just, I got bogged down in research and I never finished. I got, I got the outline, but I don't have the story. Let's do that. Let's do, let's do a comic book. So here it comes, Viviana. Mm -hmm. um, hell no. <laughs> you see, you see, do you see a pattern, pattern. forming here? <laughs> and you know what that is? Do you know what that is? No. What? And tell me if you feel this, if you agree. The universe does not care what you want. Mm. The, universe, the universe doesn't give you what you want. It gives you what you need. Yeah, that's true. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Sometimes you may not be happy with some of the stuff that they want to tell you. At the moment, right. At the moment, but at the end of the day, and once things like that dust settles, you're going, ah, okay, I got it. Uh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. You always survive. Mm -hmm. So he said, let's do a comic. And I was like, man, I ain't 14. And strangely, I had a subscription to the Uncanny X-Men when I was a kid. So what a freaking hypocrite. You know, so I'm like, I'm 14. So, you know, he's like, bro, a comic book is a storyboard. If you have to hear this in cinematic sense for you to get it, it's a storyboard. Mm -hmm. It will allow you to share your writing. It will allow me to share my illustrations. And then I went, oh, <laughs> let's do a comic book. <laughs> 
So he even talked me into that. Um, and so we created Boy from Atlantis. Now we did two issues. It was originally supposed to be a 14 book series. Mm-hmm. We got two issues in and it got super challenging. Plus he had come up with the idea that we should do these small side stories as supplements for the main series. We can go more in depth to supporting characters, to locations, artifacts. It'll be cool. And I thought, yeah, that'll be good. So I wrote six of them. (laughs) And Young Magus was that first one. I said, well, let's tell the story. And Boy from Atlantis, the main character's Poe, he's a prince. His dad is King Magus. And Poe's a nerd. He's not a warrior like his father, like his race. He's a geek. And that's where the disconnect is, right? The conflict, father and Mm -hmm. son. I'm not like you, dad, right? I can't live up to your expectations. I said, well, let's let's tell the story of Magus because let's show why he's so strict. So that'll be the first story. Well, that was awesome. So we, I wrote it in two days. He illustrated it in 30 days and we had our very first short story. And I thought, great, we'll do 14 issues of Boy from Atlantis. There'll be 14 short stories. Well, and we put it up on our website (laughs) and then Wix crashed and then we lost half the art. And then we had to talk about whether we wanted to spend time redrawing it. And he says, look, at this point, drawing 50% of the art is the shortest route and we'll have something to show for it. Versus if we don't do that, we have nothing. We did all that for nothing. And I went, okay. And then I thought, Let, I want to do an audiobook for this. And then I thought, oh, it's Jesus Christ. Are you insane? <laughs> because I didn't mean like, hey, <laughs> I'm going to take Young Magus and I'm going to read it. I was like, it's got to be like Disney. (laughs) It's got to be like a movie with your eyes closed. Because I grew up, you know, I grew up with books on tape, right? Albums. Mm -hmm. I grew up with Alice in Wonderland on record. I grew up with The Empire Strikes Back cassette tape with the read-along book that would say, when you hear R2-D2, go (laughs) turn the page. So that was my, I was like, I don't want to read this. I want music. I want sound effects. I want a cast. I said, I want money to pay for this because I want that thing. <laughs> what am I, what is wrong with me? What, God, you know, Zeus, why was I born rich enough to have ideas, but so poor that I can't execute any of them, you know? <laughs> So, Which usually means it's a great story. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I thought so. I thought, well, and so um, long story short, Eddie and I, at this point, we did two issues of Boy from Atlantis. We, we haven't abandoned it. We are on a hiatus because something came up last year that was too good to pass up. It is a secret project that I cannot talk about, but I can't wait to release next year. I promise it will be wonderful. I am writing. He is the illustrator. This is the project we're doing for the whole year. Come two weeks from now, we will be done translating the screenplay that I wrote for it to comic format that he needs to take visually because screenplays and comic scripts are completely different. And he's going to take that and illustrate it for the next 10 to 11 months. And just when he needs something like, yo, what about this on page 46? Or what if we do that? Okay, sure. I don't have to touch it. And in the meantime, I can work on something else. 
but we're going to come back to Boy From Atlantis at the end of 2022. But in the meantime, I did Young Magus. And I was fortunate enough to pull people that I had met along the way in Los Angeles, you see. So mm-hmm. we talked about how I never became an a A-list or, or a major, you know, hi, Marcio Catalano. I'm sitting here in my Malibu mansion with five scripts on my coffee table that will pay me each $25 million each. <laughs> and I'm battling right now. I'm trying to, it's either me or Will Smith for this role. You know, it's like, I've never had that experience in my life, right? That would be awesome because I would call up Will Smith and I'd be like, yo. I'll trade you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I'll do, I am legend. <laughs> if you do legend. Am I? <laughs> no. Um, so what was cool is I met folks along the way and I got to beg or ask, uh, people to help me. And I, I had never done that. I had never, uh, I went, Jesus, I've been, I've been performing a long time. I've never produced something. And when I stripped, by the way, I ran an agency. I actually, I said that in 1979, there was an agency uh, that started the same year that Chippendale started. And um, I did purchase the agency that I danced for at one point. And I had a, almost 150 dancers across three states. So I had been in an ownership managerial position I also had a group that my friends were in, including the guy who got me into audiobooks. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I didn't, you know, I've never been a casting director. I've never been a producer. I've never been a director. So I thought, okay, it's time to take that leap. Right. But, and let me, and I thought young Magus is so small. It's got to be less than 10 minutes. So I started asking people I knew. The very first person I went to was John Malone. I, John and I studied under a voice, a phenomenal voice teacher, Dave Fenoy here in Los Angeles. Um, and John and I were classmates. And he's a fantastic commercial actor. I mean, he's done stuff for so many major brands. Um, and I said, hey, listen, I've got one line. I, I, I looked at Young Magus and I said, what is the smallest component I can start with? Again, right? What's the first brick? So I went to him. Can I have one line? Sure. Um, I went to Alpha Takahashi, who I, I had met through another friend of mine at a, at a party, a get-together, an event. I said, hey, I need this, this young prince. Can you help me? And I had to wait five months for her. And yeah. And then I was looking for a king. And then somebody, somebody in the audiobook industry, Marnie Young, who had been with my agency before, before she went I off and created Marnie. She's so Marnie's sweet. fantastic. Yeah. Marnie is a champion of the people. Mm-hmm. You, she just found out, I think, of her that way right now. <laughs> she, yeah, she's, she's a, she's a, um, God, what do I, what would I compare her to? She's a beacon. Right. She's, she's right behind people. All the time for everything. Marnie said, "Hey, this uh, this <laughs> this boy from Atlantis thing you're doing, not Young Magus, because she's all this art being thrown all over social media. Hey, you know, I said, oh, I'm trying to find this this King voice. I can't remember what the conversation was like, but she somehow she guided me towards Eric Holloway. I didn't know Eric. We're on the phone for 15 minutes, and I'm like, Hey, yeah, blah blah blah. I'm trying to do this thing. Da 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 da." And he goes, I'm in, man. I'm in. 
I, I'm like, really? Because you don't know me and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I mean, and Eric's got this voice. I mean, if you hear the young Magus, he's got this voice. He, he is a king. Yeah, it's he's royal. I mean, I mean, I can't even do it. I'm gonna make, if I try to imitate his voice to give people a sense of it, it's like, hey, man, Marcio, it's like, I can't even do it. Yeah, no, you just gotta go listen to the audiobook. There's something unique about his voice, but when I heard him on the phone, I thought, man, that's it. I mean, he opened his mouth and I went, that's it. Damn it. Damn it. I'm not friends with this dude. I wonder if I can get him. Damn it. He's perfect. <laughs> I hope, I hope, I hope. Fingers crossed, right? On the mm-hmm. phone, I hope. He was gracious. I'll do it, man. Yeah, it's only nine lines. I play his brother, the king's brother, who was supposed to be the heir to the throne. Joel Pargman, who is the composer, is the, I believe, second violin of the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra. Him and his wife, Carrie, are uh, musicians, violinists. He composed all the music on this. Joel's done a ton of stuff. Right now, if you turn on Netflix, what's it called? Uh, Red uh, Gal Gadot, Dwayne Johnson. Shoot. Red Red Notice. Yes, Red Notice. He worked on that. He worked on 8-Bit Christmas. He worked on Deadpool 1 and 2, Suicide Squad 1 and 2, The Force Awakens. If you've ever watched Mindhunter on Netflix, he did the music for the initial trailer. It's done a bunch of stuff. He is the composer on this. He created all of the score for the audiobook, the opening and closing theme, which are slightly different. He did the, and he did a, a variation of the theme, which is its own piece. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get him to do, I hope he hears this and he's pressured by everybody. <laughs> no. I don't care. I have no shame. I will manipulate for the sake of art if I have to. <laughs> I'm trying, Eric has a, he does Gregorian chants. Eric Holloway did these amazing Gregorian chants on so many video game scores, including Doom Eternal. And I'm talking like, oh, you know, those kinds of things that you hear in those ominous scenes. Yeah. So Eric does those with his mouth, (laughs) not with a machine. And I said to, I said to Joel, I really want to make another song that's a bit more dark for the Young Magus audiobook. And you know, Christmas is rolling around. So he's like, well, let's talk in January. So hopefully, you know, me and Joel and Eric can do something for that. But people can listen to it for free. I mean, here we are, blah, blah, blah. Eddie did the illustrations for the comic book. I wrote it. I then wrote the script, which is different from the comic because you need a narrative. And another classmate of mine, Sean Orlikowski, who was in the same class with John Malone, <laughs> who does Polymus, the one line. Sean is amazing because uh, I was sharing with him as a friend and he said, well, what are you looking for? And, you know, wise old sage. Let me take a crack at it. Sean, <laughs> you're, you're in your mid to late 30s, man. You're not going to sound like an old man. Oh, boy. Well, let, yes, let me does. just, <laughs> yeah, Marcio, let me just, uh, you know, hey, I'll just, let me take a swing at it. All right. If, uh, you can tell me what you think, right? No harm, no foul. It's free. Okay. He sends me the file. What the, right? Mm-hmm. 
it's it's an old man. Yeah, I was shocked no. when you told me who it was and I looked him up and I'm going, no, dude, stop lying. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, Sean is like barely creeped over 35. So like mm-hmm. when he's pulling off a 67, 70 year old man, you know, mm-hmm. who sounds like a wise sage is incredible to me. Yeah. And I'm so glad I didn't narrate it because I had considered it. I actually told him this. I said, I am so glad that you narrated this because I couldn't have done that. Right. And this goes back to what we talked about, about casting and, and people playing things. We're all right for something. I'm versatile. I can do some things. I can't do everything. Right. So I was over the moon. He did an amazing job. And I mean, he's the narrator, so he holds it all together. Right. You hear, you hear him the most. He is taking you through the journey. And you know, someone's good when I know this dude. He's a friend. And I'm listening to my own audiobook. And I'm not listening because I like my stuff, right? It's not a complete story. It's a scene. In my opinion, it's a scene. It's it's good production value, but it's not a complete story that's going to change your life, right? It's just a scene. And I'm listening to him. And I'm listening to what he's saying. And I thought, oh, I got lost in that. That means I believed him. I'm not listening to this going, as my friend Sean doing a funny voice, Right? I'm hearing the character. And then I went, well, that's, that's good. So it all came together. I feel, I don't want to say I'm lucky. I think we make our own luck. But I was fortunate in the sense that I made some good friendships and some amazing people and everybody helped along the way they pitched in. The best thing about this whole thing is everybody pitched in for free. The audiobook is free to download. And people can go grab it or listen to it off our website, boyfromatlantis.com. So, so if they want to check out Boy from Atlantis, if they want to check out the audiobook for Young Magus, they can go there. So I'm sure at the end somewhere you'll give them, you know. Yeah, I was going to say that I was, I'm going to be including uh, the links to all this stuff where you can find them so you don't, the listeners don't have to go hunting for it um within the post and so definitely check it out the websites for um but from Lantis, the artwork is phenomenal you know he did such a good job with the style of it the colors everything's vibrant and the story itself is great and then well you're, t- you're talking about boy from Atlantis because that has color and young magus is black and white like more of a manga style because eddie i should probably say this about eddie because you're going into eddie now mm-hmm. eddie is my partner so we're business partners i write he illustrates Eddie is a 24-year veteran concept artist and illustrator. So he has done, I mean, he's worked for Microsoft Game Studios, Bungie, Sony Online. He taught at DigiPen, which is an animation school in Seattle, the Art Institute in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Um, He worked on Halo 1, 2, and 3. He worked on Sony's Rise, Son of Rome. Uh, He's worked on, he's working for Wizards of the Coast right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, His illustrations, he is, he is, good yeah. he's very very good and i'm very very fortunate that the guy who directed me in my second film ever that led me to move to la who i've been friends with for 18 years as my partner and that mm-hmm. he trusts me what's beautiful is that he trusts me enough to i'm not good at everything i do i'm learning i'm evolving but he gives me leeway to experiment and then he lets me go with my hunches and then if sometimes i don't know something he informs you know so 
He lets me sometimes artistic direct. He sometimes lets me, you know, um, I can't draw, but I can see. I spent 10 years in Los Angeles sitting behind people, video village, staring at the monitors, again, what the directors and ADs are looking at, talking to camera guys, you know, talking to the DPs. And by the way, for audiobook people, that does not mean what you think it does. (laughs) DP. Which can be a lot of fun. Means um, <laughs> director of photography in the film industry, mm-hmm. and so I would spend a lot of time talking to sound engineers and and you know cameramen. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? And so you know, uh, I hope this makes sense. You can draw. You can have the skill of drawing and be able to execute with either a digital tablet or lead pencil or pen. It doesn't mean you can see. And you can have vision and know how to compose something, but not be able to draw it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not the same skill. They're not, they're not, um, they're not always connected. So, but he's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And he's also a screenwriter because he also studied with the same writing teacher. So, yeah. but I like yeah. the fact that um, Young Magus is black and white because for me, it's almost like the past. And so we're kind of going, yeah. Yeah. Oh my, Viviana, I'm so happy that you said that. You know why no one's ever said that? You're the first person who, hell, I don't even know if I knew that. <laughs> no, seriously. You know what? I'm going to have to ask Eddie if he did that on purpose. Because we, we were doing color at the time. Mm-hmm. There was no reason why Boy from Atlantis was in color and he did black and white. I mean, he might have done it for economical reasons, right? We finished right. it faster. But it does lend to that, doesn't it? Yeah, it's you know, it's almost like wow. you're, like you know, like you're having a um, flashback, right? Moment, oh, and brilliant. So that's how you differentiate that it is about you know a flashback. Brilliant, yeah, brilliant. I never thought of that. And how also, cool it's a that? different era, so you know, because it's now this is now the adult of dad. Now he's a child, yeah. so things are and different it, back then. So, and it's a completely different art style because if people look at Boy from Atlantis, they'll see that we we agreed. Because when you're creating something, you're you're trying to. There's a million things you're trying to figure out, but one of the things is, what's the art style going to be? What fits this right? And um, we kind of went with a bit of a loose hybrid, um, a loose hybrid kind of like Western or manga, you know, half and half. So, yeah, it's different. And if you look at Boy from Atlantis, it feels more like Pixar. It feels like you're watching an animation and it's been paused. That was the goal. The goal was like, let's do a cartoon um, that looks like it was paused. Let's make it feel like it's animation. Because when I wrote Boy from Atlantis, my my goal as a screenplay wasn't obviously a live action movie. Um, or Or it wasn't obvious, but... I didn't want that. I wanted an animation, but I didn't have the money to do that. I didn't have like, there's no way I could, you know, build an animation team. So I started writing and I got discouraged. And he said, well, you can't do 3D, can't do animation. We can do 2D, do a comic. So I said, well, I want it to look like a, you know, not Pixar, but, but, you know, some, you know, DreamWorks, you know, it should look like a cartoon. It should look like a, like a beautiful cartoon that you paused, you know? And so that's the style of, of BFA boy from Atlantis and young Magus is like 
completely like loose and you know manga-ish so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and we'll we'll get back to it at the end of next year after we're done with uh our current top secret <laughs> dark mysterious project Mm-hmm. looking forward to being able to find what that is um when it's announced and also to see what comes out of you know for next four boy from atlantis Thank and you. the other side stories so it's exciting i guess the audiobook is phenomenal if you guys have not listened to it yet uh, definitely check it out and we'll be including the information so you guys can find it but the music is phenomenal I mean, everything this entire project is just top-notch from production to artwork to the cast it's just phenomenal you guys are gonna love it Oh shucks. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and you know what? And it's free. Right? So like even if it's not someone's cup of tea, because I know sci-fi is not everybody's cup of tea. Um, hey, it's a free lesson. So yeah. Go. But a lot of things too, like when we when it comes to audiobooks, we tend to when they are on sale or free, but that we'll look it up and then we end up discovering that we have this wow, we just discovered this new author or this new narrator, and then we'll start figuring what else have they done. And then just start devouring their back catalog. And uh, so it'll be fun for you guys to check some of these actors out and kind of figure out what they've been doing and catch up again, you know, once they start doing more stuff. I think they're going to go down a rabbit hole if they if they start looking me up because <laughs> they're going to be like, what? He did this and then he did this. I feel like I've had like three careers in one in, one in the first half of my lifetime. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's one of those so, things where you start moving and jumping around and then you you'll discover new things and you're going, hey, okay, great. And then, oh, that, you know, that like with any skill, it gets better with time. The more you do it, fast forward and you have your own comic book and stories and stuff like that. And here we are. Yeah. And that's hopefully the future. My, my goal, I have a couple things I'd like to do and. It's interesting because right now doing audiobooks, you know, audiobooks, Viviana, it's funny because I always describe to the people who know me and know my background, I always say it's like stripping on the mic. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it does actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, the only difference. No one sees you. <laughs> yeah. Because hell, even in the summertime, you're kind of naked in the booth anyways. It's so hot. Uh, oh, that's what I've been so told I was like, you guys. You're a still. Lot. <laughs> I, look, you can run as much AC as you want through a booth, but uh, sometimes it's SoCal. I mean, when it's it's, oh man, when it's over 100, 110. So if you, for me, for me, because obviously I have that specific background. So for me, it's a very unique perspective where I think. It's no different. It's the same principles applied to to audiobooks. And let's face it, when I was doing that too, I was still talking. You're still looking at somebody. You're still making a suggestion, right? You're still flirting. You're doing all of that, and it's still the same. And um, but I hope to do more um, more of my own stuff now. Mm. Yeah. I would like to one day write my own romance and or slash erotic novel and narrate it. That would be like, that's on the list, mm-hmm. the bucket list, right? Yep. Possibly if 
all falls into place, start a studio with my partner, Eddie. That would be cool in the next two or three years to possibly just try to get on the same page and have a body of work in our portfolio that says, all right, we're a tandem. I write, he illustrates. If we got to bring in someone to do color, if we got to bring someone in to do ink or you know whatever, if it's an animation team, to translate something that's 2D on a flat page to 3D to you know, to, to pitch ourselves that way. And there's plenty of like, um, author tandems, aren't there like duos? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Right. So there you go. Kind of like that, you know? And then, uh, yeah, you know, we'll see. I, I would love to do, I love images. I used to draw when I was a kid. Uh, I didn't follow through with that. I'd, I'd say that's my one regret in life, you know? Yeah. And so having someone who does do that is such a joy. And I mean, you have no idea how many, how many art books I devour. Nobody has any clue. I'm constantly looking at paintings. Every, like I spend hours a day looking at paintings or illustrations or sketches of anatomy or tutorials on YouTube. For a dude who doesn't draw, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's frightening. Right. But I have to be able to do that because if not, I can't, um, you can't see, I can't see lovely, but also think about this. And I think, I think people understand this. You may not do a, a job. You may not do another person's job, but you are working with them. Oh yeah. You have to understand you what can, your job is. Yeah. If you speak the same language, you not only will be able to communicate what you want more clearly, but they will respect you because they see that you've put the effort in to understand who they are and what they do. Because the worst is when someone um, doesn't value you and they just go do it. Well, it doesn't really work that way. It's more complicated than you think. You see, blah, blah, blah. No, no, I don't care. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Just, just go do it. Right. Has anybody ever been there? That's horrible. Ugh, yeah. Right. So <laughs> yeah. luckily I'm interested in what he does, but I'm always, I think he's annoyed actually. I'm like, Hey, why do you do that? He's like, bro, I just do it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, Kobe, but <laughs> I can't dribble. So how do you fucking move the ball? Like, you know, just tell me, right? Like, I know this is boring for you, but it's not for me. Right. Tell me, because if you tell me once, I'll know it forever and I'll never have to ask you again. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, I should make it easy, make it easy on yourself, bro. Make it easier. I ain't going to stop. <laughs> I know you're my friend and you're my partner, but you, if you think I'm going to shut up, you're stupid. <laughs> you know, so tell me, why'd you do that? <laughs> yeah, it's easier to just tell you. <laughs> right. It's easier. Mm -hmm. Look, look. Before you walk in there, I, I'm just going to let you know, just let him have his way <laughs> and we can all leave sooner. <laughs> do you want this to go smoothly? Yes, I do. Okay. Just, just, just let him, let him think he's right. <laughs> because regardless of what you do, he still think he is. <laughs> so just, just don't fight the feeling. No. <laughs> So you're talking about your artwork and how you can spend hours doing that. But when you're not working, what do you do for fun? Wow. <laughs> you got to think about when you're not working. Yeah, that's pathetic. Because <laughs> I was just like, okay, this is going to be lame. Because I 
only all the time am obsessed with this. So unless I go to the grocery store or the gym, hell, even my friends complain like, dude, let's hang out. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, come on, man. We saw each other last month. No, Marcio, it's been five. <laughs> so uh, I, I like the same stuff. I like to read graphic novels, comics, books, watch movies, um, research. I like psychology. That was my major in college. Uh, yeah, so I like behavior. I think it's why I'm drawn to music, images. You know, even when you look at a picture, God, even if you go back, have you ever seen like 120-year-old photos? Oh, yeah. The old black and white ones? Yes. <clears throat> or they have that sepia tone? Mm -hmm. on the edges yes so it's very interesting when you study these pictures and 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 one of my old teachers taught me this or he pointed this out to me he said look at old pictures you know let's make up stories of what's going on like here's his family he was a farmer that's his wife those are his three kids you think he's happy do you think he's cheating on her can you see this in this picture can you see you know so i like um yeah, like psychology. Mm -hmm. And so everything to me is psychology. Mm -hmm. If it's if it's a movie, it's a visual movie. You know, it's moving pictures. And there's a story about a person who's going through an experience. And with other people, right? Mm -hmm. Hopefully, in the end, culminating with some kind of point, right? Right. Um, same with the book. What's the journey that character's going on? Music. You listen to lyrics, right? Yeah, it it's do. about someone's experience, right? Mm -hmm. Same with poetry. Sculpting is the same way. There's, there's something that's happening, unless it's a shape, you know. But if it's sculpture, if it's sculptures of animals or people, what are they doing? You know, where are they? What's happening to them? So I'm, I'm constantly like that. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm like anybody else. I love traveling. And that's it. And there we go again, right? What I like traveling. Different cultures, different food, different people, different experiences. What are you experiencing? Well, I talked to this taxi driver. I talked to this old gypsy lady. She said this, right? I tried this food. Did you know? <laughs> you know, I went to this cafe in Europe, blah, blah, blah. But did you know that coffee is Arabic? And it came over here and blah, 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 you know? So I love travel. I love travel. I love, I just love images. I love images. I mean, I'm taking photos every day. I actually just told somebody today. I said, people don't realize when they see me taking photos of food, they think like, um, they think, and I picked this up in China because people do this in China. Asian people take photos of food all the time. Uh, because they 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 spend time with their families and friends and food is important. I think food is important to like all cultures. Yeah. Because it's where people come together, the community, right? Families and friends come to share their daily lives. But they take a lot of photos. I I that wore off on me or rubbed off on me. I do it every day still here in America. And people go, why do you do that? And I think and they're like, oh, you're just taking a picture of a dish. And I'm like, I'm practicing my craft. What do you mean? I'm trying to make this photo of this seemingly mundane, simple dish look better than what you photograph. If my mom takes this photo, 
if your uncle takes this photo, if a friend of ours takes this photo, I want my photo to look better than that. So I'm constantly shooting stuff that I never share and some that I do, right? Because I share like 3% of what I shoot. So daily. Yeah. So I like pictures. Pictures. There you go. You're looking at pictures every day and you get on audiobooks and you're painting pictures in people's minds. Yes. You're trying to tell them that even though you're a good boy in this story, <laughs> I am playing the bad boy. <laughs> so you better behave because if you don't, I will spank your nice round ass. <laughs> in fact, don't behave. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, I don't know if that answered the question, but it answered some question. Yes, it did. Um, the one that I probably wasn't even asking me, you know, out loud yeah. anyways. But anyways. I got you covered. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, it's, um, you were bringing up photos and the food and stuff. And that's one of the things yeah. I love about what you post on social media is that you share what you're eating. And if you guys that are listening haven't figured this out yet, if because if you don't follow him, you should. But if you do follow him, if you haven't figured out that, you know, this man loves Thai food, like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you're putting pressure on me because now I feel like I got to start posting a bunch of food pictures. You're you know, I'm like, do. oh, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think I post that many pictures of food. I just think I post often the same kind of food. Yeah. And that's not like a variety of culinary arts. So now I'm mm -hmm. like, oh shit, yeah. I gotta like Viviana's making me out, you know, she's making me sound like I'm the food channel over here. Yeah. No, not that far. No, though he does know how to cook. But I was curious because I know that you love Thai food. <clears throat> what your um, favorite Italian and then your favorite Argentinian dishes are, being that that's like home. Oh, oh, that's a fun question. Let me see. Well, I I know the thing that Argentine. Argentine or, or Italian? Either both. or or both? Okay. Both. Argentine food. Mm, damn it. Because there's so many good sweets in Argentina. That is true. They're really good with the desserts. Yeah. And I'm addicted to sugar. <laughs> um, I think the most comforting food from Argentina that makes me feel at home, that makes me feel like mom's around and she's taking care of me. Because mm -hmm. that's what food does, right? What comfort yeah. food does is choripan and choripan for people who don't know what that is which you wouldn't unless you were argentine choripan is uh chorizo pan chorizo is sausage pan or pane in italian is bread it is a sausage in a hoagie with chimichurri sauce on top and chimichurri is like parsley garlic olive oil uh salt so that's my favorite Argentine dish. Okay. Because that's what like makes me feel cozy. My favorite Italian dish. Oh, this one's easy. Anything with chingale inside. So chingale is, is boar, boar meat. So the first time I had chingale was papardele a la chingale, which is a certain type of very thick noodle. And with boar. But uh, I like... Ideally, tagliatelle, which is another kind of pasta uh, with boar. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a specialty of the Tuscan region. Mm -hmm. So if you ever go to Italia, Toscano, Tuscany, 
this is a, a seasonal thing, ideally, because it tastes better a certain part of the year than the other. And uh, yeah, that is amazing. I could eat that every day. Or I think I can. I think I can. I've never tried, never tried to. Tried it. I, yeah. No, I, 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 I actually attempted to in Italy, but I was not able to. But I think I could. Mm. So those are my two favorite dishes. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for asking. What is your favorite word? Clean word or bad word or just word in general? But... Word in general. And then because the <clears throat> follow-up question is your favorite curse word. So. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, ooh. <laughs> that's, that's, oh man, that's so hard. There's so many good words. There's so many good words because so many words describe so many different things, right? Mm-hmm. I uh, one word that is easy. It's, I don't know if this is my favorite word, but this is the word that comes to mind now or easily is the word serendipitous because I like the idea that life that you that you that we all are on a serendipitous adventure, right? Mm-hmm. And the meaning behind that is that it is uh, unforeseen. You have to experience it. And when you do it, it makes sense after, <laughs> not before you're going in because you're like, uh-oh. So yeah, serendipitous. I'll, I'll go with that for now. Yeah. Okay. So what's your favorite curse word? Fuck. I love the word fuck. I love the word fuck. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I was like, I was going to add to that, but I was like, Arr. yeah. I'm not going to say too much. Not if there's some it, it mystery could, there. Well, no. it could, yeah, it can get out of hand quick. So mm-hmm. let's, that is my f- curse word. That's my favorite word. Yeah, okay. for sure. Easily. Like 99.9%. There, every, mm-hmm. All the other curse words combined don't even come close. I think it's a fan favorite, isn't it? I think so. I think it's, it's, it's so very versatile. versatile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It could be utilized for a variety of things. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Mm-hmm. What song do you have to sing along with when you hear it and it doesn't matter where you're at? Oh, this one's so easy. Is it now? Uh, yeah, it is. And it's going to be such a, people are going to think it's such a um, like conventional pick, but it, it is. It's a very popular song or was in the 80s. Michael Jackson's Wannabe Starting Something. Mm-hmm. Because, and the reason why is the rhythm is amazing. I can, I don't know why my my I just can be in a car, and I'm going. I can't sit still when I hear this. I'm almost afraid sometimes it'll pop up in like Trader Joe's, you know. Um, my first cassette tape, my mom got me Michael Jackson's Thriller. What year was that? Eighty one? I don't know. And uh, you had to order it, and it took six to eight weeks for delivery back then. <laughs> So, you know, and it had a ton of stuff on there, but Billie Jean, Thriller, you know, mm-hmm. beat, it, beat it, but want to be starting something that, that, that gets something started. So, yeah, I'm going to have to download that. So when we hang out, I can just start playing it. No, no, yes, no. yeah. No. <laughs> next, next question, please. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh <laughs> you are the weakest link goodbye (laughs) no no (laughs) 
Hi, interrupting again. So remember when I said in the first episode that we had about over three hours of content? Yeah, so we actually recorded on two different days. So the section you're going to hear now is the two truths and a lie. And you're going to hear a sound difference, especially on his mic. And it's just because we were at a different setup. So bear with us. You'll get some great content and information. And then we're going to go right back to how we were before. So now actually we're in a little fun point here where we play two truths and a lie with our guest. This is where I ask you, my guest, to tell me three things about yourself of which one of them has to be a lie. And I have to figure out that which one that is. So. Yeah, I, I should have yeah. wrote these. I should have prepped for that. <laughs> I only emailed you how many Dude. times. So wait a minute. Let me just. <laughs> yeah. So just to confirm, it has to be three things that you you don't know about me, right? Three things right. that I propose to you and two are true and one is not true, right? Correct. Okay. Number one, I was a licensed bartender. Number two, I speak five languages. Number three, I have been in near-death experiences Nine times. Damn it. What? You're mad because it's hard? <laughs> I don't mind it when things are hard. I was I just going to say, that. what's the fun in telling you stuff you already <laughs> know? Isn't that the point of the game? Yes, exactly. No, it's totally fine. And it's, but it, this is also like when it comes down to it, it's those specific in details of the fact that it's five. That, and that's why I did three, that because of the nine times being in, you know, well, like, uh, yeah, but if you make it vague, uh, right. A, it's no fun. And number two, it's kind of easier to figure out, right? It, yeah. should, it should be a game and a game should be challenging. So the lie is that you know five languages? The lie is that I, yeah, that I know five languages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, I got it. I speak only three. Three. Fluent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So mm -hmm. good. You're good. Wow. Mm -hmm. So disappointed. Sorry. <laughs> Damn Sorry. It. I started to stump you. I thought I actually thought I was going to stump you. You all you know, see that you did. Uh, it was really there because I'm like, okay, how like really nine times? Like nine times, really? Yeah, but really. And again, really. You know. <laughs> and I'll I'll outline them for you. I've been shot at. Don't worry, I wasn't like a drug dealer <laughs> or a mafia person or um i was in, yeah i was uh almost hit by gunfire on five separate occasions i did get stabbed when i was 13 mm. and ended up in the hospital and i've had two car accidents um or three where i probably should have died in seattle i was driving on on the I-5, the, the biggest highway in, 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 in Seattle and Washington State, and a car flew, crashed on an upper bridge above me and landed behind the trunk of my car as I was speeding 65 miles an hour, normal speed on a freeway. Literally, if I had been a second behind, the car would have landed on me. It, it just like hit a guardrail and flew off the top crossing bridge and landed behind me. 
I was looking in the rearview mirror and this car just, you know, boom, landed on the, on the highway that I had just been just passed up. Right. Uh-huh. The strip of cement I had just passed up. And another time when my buddy, Jeff, Oh God, Jeff Allen, where a tarp flew off a truck on the opposite lane and landed over his Mustang as we were going 70 miles an hour and stayed on our car. And we couldn't see as we're going 70. Like I've been in so many wacky situations, like a couple other ones. That well, will... Knowing that you did the stunt stuff, I figure, okay, well, that's possible. No injuries, but it's not. No, it's not at life. all. I played, <laughs> oh my God. No, I did martial arts growing up. I played yeah. two years of semi-pro ball. I did stunts on some things. No, it's yeah, never been that. Going, it's, mm. it's never been that. I think, I think it's because that's a controlled environment all the time. And hopefully if you're working on, you know, that is production, true, yeah. that's, that is all about safety. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. within parameters of what kind of injury you can get doing a certain thing. Mm-hmm. So Marcy, before we go, can you tell us what you're currently working on and what's coming out next for you in the near future? For audiobooks or both, or if you know, whatever eternity. you can share. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yeah, because I know with audiobook stuff, you know, there's some things that you can't share because things haven't been announced yet. But yeah, tell us, tell us, tell us all. Um, The next, actually, I'm starting on a new series, a two book series in a few days. That would be a two book set called Bad and Dirty by authors L.P. Lovell and Stevie J. Cole. And that's a dark mafia romance, which has a Russian, mm-hmm. you know, character. We'll see how I do. <laughs> okay, boss. <laughs> um, and I think I have something up uh, coming up with Addison Kane. Um, yeah, I'm not looking at my laptop right now, so I don't know. It's okay. Yeah, so th- those for sure. Mm-hmm. And as far as my my dream, let it go, let it go. No, <laughs> um, as far as my dream is concerned, or or what I want to do in the future, um, Eddie and I are doing this project. It will take eleven months to illustrate. While he's working on that, I plan to do a two book story. For sure, writing it possibly with some art although that's yet to be determined if it will have art or if that will be Eddie or somebody else. Um, Called Anuna and the Lunar Flower and the second part of that story called A Band of Brothers. That's something totally different. But actually, ironically, it's in the Boy from Atlantis universe. Mm. It's all connected to Young Magus and Boy from Atlantis. And then, uh, yeah, and then at the end of the next year, after we're done with the super secret project and I'm done with Anuna, uh, Eddie and I hop back on to BFA, Boy from Atlantis. That's it. Cool. That's the story of my life. And I plan on going back to China, so mm-hmm. part-time, so, and, uh, yeah. Keep okay. it simple. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're uh, going to be definitely be looking forward to this stuff and, um, checking out what your upcoming audiobooks are and listening to that Russian accent and see how that comes out. Ooh, let's mm. see how I do. I have mm-hmm. to get my friend, to, I have to get my friend to coach me a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> try, to, try, try to catch some of that authenticity. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Well, thank you so much, Marcia, for taking the time to hang out with me today. It's been so much fun. Uh, you know what, Viviana, thank you. I sincerely, I, I have a great time chatting with you because I feel like we are, uh, even though it's a podcast, we're like two friends talking. Mm-hmm. And so you're very charming <laughs> and very generous. And I had a good time. Thank you. If you're not following Marcio on social media, don't wait another minute. Just go do it. And you will find all his links <laughs> on this. <laughs> I love it. Just go do it. Like, just don't be so it. lame. Just go yeah. do it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't would... be a loser. Like, just go do it. Go stalk him. He likes it. He likes psychos. Just make sure you're really, no, you know, you're wearing do makeup not. and you're hot. Do not. <laughs> bring stilettos, bring whips, like stalk his ass. Stalk his ass. Otherwise, he feels like you don't care. Oh my God. <laughs> Jeez. It's like, wow. Hmm, what do you think of Viviana as a manager? Don't hire her. And no, definitely don't pay her. <laughs> she doesn't know what she's doing. She almost got me killed. Oh, goodness. I did not see a damn thing. That was on you, dude. I had girls, <laughs> I had girls crawling in through the window. You don't like that? I loved it. The sex mm-hmm. was hot, but then I had to call the police. <laughs> like, what are you doing here? And I used to have a cop outfit, motherfucker. So <laughs> this shit was confusing. No. <laughs> I'll be quiet now. Yeah, I was trying to say we will be including all his info as far as links are concerned within the episode's post over at VPN Enchantress of Books. And until next time, happy listenings. Thank you to all of our audiobook-loving podcast Patreon. Special thanks to Nixley Zenner, Carol Liebner, Line Black-Peterson, Brittany Robinette-Leiter, Don Darch, Michelle Bastard, Nancy Billows. The audiobook loving podcast has special Patreon access levels. Join today to receive benefits including early access to episodes, shout outs, special exclusive content, and much more. Support the podcast by becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash audiobook loving. We thank you for your support. Thank you for joining us on the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, hosted by Viviana Enchantress of Books. For links and more information discussed in today's episode, previous podcasts, or the Audiobook Lovin' series, please visit our website, vivianaenchantressofbooks.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review wherever you listen to our podcast. Until next time, happy listening.